Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah. It feels good to be in God's house today. How many came expecting to receive something from the Lord today? Amen. Amen. If you come expecting to receive, God came expecting to give. Amen. He will meet and exceed your expectation. Amen. Whatever we've come into the house of the Lord looking for today, God has come prepared to give it. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to allow you to return to your seats. It is uh, my honor to uh, be able to be here and uh, to join alongside uh, your pastor and their lovely family uh, and to minister the word of the Lord to you today. Thank you, Pastor Cox, for the invitation to come. Amen. I was incredibly blessed this week uh, to be able to digitally attend because of the Times 2020. And let me just help you understand. God bless you. You can be seated. But your pastor preached the word of God on Wednesday night at Because of the Times. Amen. He is uh, not only someone that I respect and revere and am thankful for his voice in my life, but uh, he is a voice in the United Pentecostal Church, both here in the Illinois District, in the North American uh, work that's going on in, uh, around the world. Uh, he is respected and loved and admired and appreciated, and uh, I honor him today and thank him for the word. Amen. I listened this week, well, at because of the times, to a giant of the faith in Sister Thetis Tenney. And she reminded us of the power of understanding who we are in Jesus Christ, who God called us to be. She recounted the story of her mother spending $100, and at the time, $100 was a, was a significant investment. But she spent $100 when she was just a little girl on a used accordion, got her lessons in trying in hopes that Sister Tinney would be a musician or uh, to be a singer and uh, to be able to be used in that avenue of ministry. And if you understand the time that uh, that would have taken place, you understand that in order to be a quote-unquote preacher's wife, you had to play and sing. It was just the expectation that if you were going to be a lady used in the ministry, well, then that would be the kind of ministry that you would be used in. She could have wasted her life trying to become a musician and a singer. And one day, she may have even made it uh, to a, a level of mediocrity within uh, that era, or within that arena, uh, with a great effort. But God didn't call her to be a musician or a singer. God wouldn't have received glory out of her life as a musician or a singer. God wouldn't have been able to impact the world through her life as a musician or a singer. Rather, God called her <clears throat> to serve alongside her husband, T.F. Tenney, for 65 years in ministry, allowing her life to be spent for the gospel of Jesus Christ. She herself 
as a vital component of their ministry together and her ministry now continuing on, serving as an international speaker and author, the World Network of Prayer Coordinator. And above it all, in her own very words this week, she was called to be a teacher. I was struck so much by her candid commentary, acknowledging the reality that you don't have to live up to everybody else's expectations. But rather, if you can really do what Jesus wants you to do with your life, you can change the world that you're living in. God didn't call you to be somebody else. He didn't call you to serve in somebody else's uh, shadow or in their ministry. He called you to serve his kingdom to accomplish his purpose for your life. Amen. In the world in which we live, success is often summed up by net worth, by titles, by positions, or by an arbitrary term called happiness. It's counted in followers on social media platforms like YouTube or Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. We're even led to believe that success is found in meeting the expectations of our family, our family members, our friends, our employees, or our employers, and our peers. Today, Sister Tenney fulfills her purpose by following God's call to teach. And each week she invests herself, not in the grand masses of people, that the societal expectations would measure her truly being, quote-unquote, used of God, but rather she intentionally invests her more than 70 years of ministerial experience into 13 little girls. True success cannot be measured by societal metrics. True success cannot be measured in the results that you see in this life. But the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 6 said that one plants and another waters, but it's God who gives the, the increase. So how do I measure true success? Paul continued on in verse number 8, and he said it this way. He said success looks like this, that every man shall receive his own reward according According to his own labor. What's he saying? Success doesn't look the same for everybody else. God's called you for a specific purpose, for your own labor, for you to invest yourself into the kingdom of God to accomplish his purpose in your life. And so I have to ask you the question this morning What are you doing for Jesus Christ? What are you doing for the kingdom of God? How are you daily, intentionally investing in his kingdom? Amen. Who are you investing in for the kingdom of God? You see, that, that, that transition is a, is a key one. Because Jesus Christ did not just call us to, to be investors in the kingdom of our finances. He didn't just call us to be performers in the kingdom with our talents. But he called us to be disciple makers. To be able to look to someone else and say, follow me as I follow Christ. 
I want to invest in you because the kingdom of God is not buildings. The kingdom of God is not finances. The kingdom of God is not talents or musical ability or a smiling face at the door. Those are all roles that we serve the kingdom in and they're important. But the greatest role that we can serve the kingdom in is taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone. The who is the purpose of the gospel. The who is the reason why we're called into this kingdom that I might show forth the praises to someone else of he who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so because of the who, I can't measure success in dollars in my bank account or degrees behind my name or success uh, by becoming uh, a person that somebody else looks like. Rather, I, I measure my success by becoming like Him. We used to sing hymns, and I like the new songs. I do. I love them. But we used to have those beautiful red or brown back books. I can't remember what it was in the old sanctuary here. I know at home for us it was red. Singing to the Lord. Some of y'all ready to go to church now. I just got someone connected. I can remember an old song we used to sing quite a bit. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. On earth I long to make a lot of money. No. It's not about money. It's not about relationships. It's on earth I long to be like him. All through life's journey. From earth to glory. I only ask to be like him. My only ask is to be like him. So if I pause for a moment and I think about who he was and what he was about, everything he did in the New Testament was about investing in people, pouring himself out, not looking to receive, but looking to give, looking to accomplish what needed to be accomplished so that all of us within this room could come into relationship with him. And while he had multitudes of followers, he had 12 that he intentionally invested and poured his life into, expecting that through those 12, the world would be turned upside down. If Jesus saw the importance of intentionally investing in people, how can we miss that point? How can we satisfy or, or some Christianity up in the, in the concept that I come and I check my boxes on Sunday and on midweek and I go to the community groups and I, I, I do all the activities of the church and as long as I hit my check boxes of church activities, then I'm fulfilling my purpose with the kingdom of God. 
When the real expectation is we gather together as the church to encourage, to minister, to edify the body so that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I can go out and do the work of the body. I can be his hands. I can be his mouthpiece. No, no, no. Uh, You can be the mouthpiece of God. It's not just your pastor. When you pick up this word and you take it to somebody's house and you sit down and say, hey, Let's talk about the Word of God. Let's go over a Bible study. Let me introduce you to what God expects of you. You become the mouthpiece of God in their life. And you're doing the work of the kingdom. It's vital that we do the work of the kingdom of God. No one is exempt. No one is exempt. You know, I know it's not scripture, but it fits all right. To whom much is given, much is required. And the reality is that God requires or expects of us a return on his investment. You don't have to look very long in the scripture to see that there's an expectation of return. Jesus talked to us about the parable of uh, the master who extended talents to his servants. And we see that he distributed unevenly to the servants, but he expected equally a return from all of them. He expected that servant with five to increase the talents that he had given him and to come with the return. He expected the one with three to give a return. He expected the one with one to give a return. And when that person with one talent who thought they didn't have much to offer their master buried the talent in the sand and waited for his master to return, Listen to Jesus' words. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. What's that mean? It means that there is a real judgment that will take place based on what we do with what God has given us. Paul sums it up like this, staying there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 13. And he reveals that there is coming a day where every man's work shall be made manifest because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work. What kind of a work it was. We will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. There will be a fire of God's judgment that will either reveal in our lives gold, silver, and precious stones, the return on investment that Jesus Christ has put in us, or there will be a return of wood, hay, and stubble, stubble, and it will be burnt up. You see, at that day, it's not going to matter how many social media followers you had. At that day, it's not going to matter how many dollars you had in the bank. It's not going to matter the type of successes you had in business or some other arbitrary thing that you've tied your life to. Ultimately, all those things are going to be burned up in the fire. And so we can't afford to get caught up in the arbitrary successes of this world.
That was all free. My foundation is laid. We're all on the same page now. Long before Jesus' arrival, the prophet Isaiah began to prophesy and declare these words in regard to him. Isaiah chapter number 49 and verse number 1. He said, listen, O isles unto me, and hearken, ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother. He hath made mention of my name, and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver he hid me. And he said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Yes, the angels declared the name of Jesus to Mary. And for nearly 30 years, he prepared for his purpose. Sure, in those times, he astonished the teachers of the day with his understanding of scriptures. And in those times, there were life lessons that as a human being, he had to live. But the Bible lets us know. And it helps us to understand that after his season of preparation the Bible says that within his mouth was a sharp word. Why? Because the word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints of the marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And as we read the word of God, as we see the lessons that Jesus established in the gospels about how we should live, about how we should give, about how we should invest. It should cut to our heart. It should cut through all of the facades of the world and cause us to question whether or not I'm living for my glory or his. Words to his disciples like, hey, listen, come and follow after me. But you only need one coat. You don't need two. Don't worry about tying yourself to all the baggage of this world. Free yourself from material possessions. Free yourself from all the turmoil of the world around you. Give yourself to my kingdom. The rich young ruler comes to him and says, hey, Lord, I want to follow you. I think this is a pretty cool gig. And he looks at him, and he doesn't say, okay, you're rich. We could use all your money. He looks at him and says, go sell everything you have, and then come follow me. And that word cut deep. And in a moment of decision, do I get tied up in the temporary things of the world or do I recognize that the Messiah has come the rich young ruler was crushed at the thought of losing his things for the purpose of the kingdom and so the Bible tells us he went away with sorrow and we don't ever see that he returned Because success in the kingdom has nothing to do with success in the world. Friend, let me help you this morning. 
you need an intimate relationship with this precious book right here. More than just your pastors and teachers here at the Pentecostal church teaching and preaching the word of God to you. You need an intimate look that says, okay, God, let that sharp sword cut through my intentions. Let it discern my thoughts. Let it discern my attitudes. Let it discern, God, the lies that I've begun to accept unknowingly into my spirit that measure who I am in the kingdom. And God, let that sharp word that is in your mouth, Lord, let it pierce the dividing asunder of my soul and my spirit. And cut out of me. Let it do surgery in my heart and in my life and in my attitudes and in my intentions so that they're pure, so that I can live out day by day pleasing unto you. Paul didn't pull any punches. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Wow. God. I'm not up here today saying sacrifice is easy. I'm not up here today saying being willing to lay all of the world down and the treasures of the world down for the cause of Christ is easy. But it is my reasonable service. I can't count myself to apprehend No, I have to lay down every weight and every burden that could so easily dissuade and uh, uh, cause me to fall back into my worldly mindset. I have to lay those things down and I have to press for the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Isaiah continued. From this sharp sword, the word of God, to talking about a preparation process that Jesus Christ went through, but also that mirrors the preparation process that you and I go through in life. The Bible says that in speaking of Jesus, that God in the shadow of his hand hid him. And made him a polished shaft. That, that literally uh, means that he made him as a prepared arrow to accomplish his work. He purified him in his hands to ensure that he would fly straight to accomplish his task. He ensured that the tip of that arrow wouldn't have any rust. It wouldn't have any dirt. It wouldn't have anything that would prevent the arrow from once it meets its intended target that would prevent it from sinking in deep and accomplishing the purpose that God has sent it for. And to you and I today, I I, want to talk for just a couple of minutes from this little passage of Scripture about arrows prepared for God's purpose. Because the reality is that God right now in your life 
may have you in a refining process. Arrows in that day weren't mass produced. They didn't have a factory that was just taking fiberglass or taking metal and forming them into a shape and sending them down a production line. But rather, arrows in that day were intentionally picked by master craftsmen that understood they could only go to certain shapes of trees and certain shapes of branches and whittle that piece of wood down to a manageable size and then tip that arrow with some specific metals so that the tip would be protected so when the arrow would fly it would fly straight it would fly true and when it met its target it would fulfill the purpose with which it was sent and in all of our lives we're taken to a particular tree we're taken to the cross of Calvary where we come face to face with our Savior. And we find this recognition that there are things in my life, attitudes, mentalities, mindsets that have been built into who I am that are not compatible with the kingdom of God. And so we go to a master craftsman with nail-scarred hands that takes time an investment in each of us and whittles away at intentional things in our life that he recognizes that if I launched you for the purpose I've seen you for right now, you would go off course. You'd never meet the target because my hands haven't been on you long enough yet. Because I recognize things in your life. that are preventing you right now from accomplishing the ultimate purpose for which I sent you. And so through a refining process, through a painful process, oftentimes the Holy Ghost moves on our hearts. The Spirit of God grips at our hearts. The Word of God cuts away at our hearts and speaks to us. As the hand of God expertly crafts our life so that he can make us into a shape that can purposefully be launched by the master archer to accomplish the task that he wants you to accomplish. You see, we like to hurry through that process. Because it doesn't feel good. We like to hurry through that process because it takes time for us to recognize in ourselves things that aren't pleasing to God that He's just trying to work out of us. We like to rush through the pain. We like to rush uh, through the struggle. We like to hit the microwave of heaven somehow and just speed right through a Holy Ghost planer that would cut away everything that doesn't need to be there, mass produce us out the door. That's why we have to go back to his word while we're in a refining process and recognize Ecclesiastes 3.1 tells us that to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. 
that God is working in you intentionally and purposefully his purpose. And if you will submit to his process, what does that look like, Brother Wellman? Let's bring it down to where the rubber meets the road. If you will bow your knees every day and say, okay, God, search me, cleanse me, create in me a clean heart, convict me of the things, God, that aren't like you, that aren't pleasing to you, that aren't acceptable to you, the things, God, that are keeping me from fulfilling the purpose that you've called me to, God. If you'll just take time with me today, Jesus, and work on my heart, work on my mind, work on my spirit, and help me to bring it into alignment with your word. Okay, God, now, now you can take me through the process of stripping me of the things that need to be stripped because when I've spent time with you and I've committed my heart to you, now I'm primed and ready for the word to come and take some things away. Sometimes we make the process a lot harder than God intended it to be. Because he has to break us before he can bless us. But if we'll fall at the cross instead of needing the stone to crush us, we're prepared for him to be able to shape us into who he wants us to be. We go through this season of God making us and God shaping us and wondering, okay, God is a season now. And we finally get to that point to where God looks over his craftsmanship and he says, all right, now you look usable. And we feel like, oh, it's going to happen right now. God's about to speak that word that's going to allow me to launch into whatever that ministry is that he has prepared for me to do. And look at what Isaiah said. After he hid me in the shadow of his hand and he prepared me and made me a prepared arrow for his purpose, then he hid me in his quiver. The arrow is fully ready for use. But the time had not yet come for the arrow to be used. Sometimes the season of waiting is the hardest season of all. Sometimes that, 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 that time to, to keep or to time to cast away, as, as Ecclesiastes would have said, really feels more like a time to weep. Because I'm saying, okay, God, I've heard your voice. I see the picture. I, 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 I see the vision, God, that you have. The time is now, and yet the Holy Ghost just says, whoa, hold on. Hold on. Just wait. It's not yet time. But I do want to let you know that there is a time that is coming. <laughs> 
that if you've been through that process, God already has it prepared. Galatians chapter number 6 and verse number 9 says, Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season, at God's appointed time, in the moment that He sees fit, the master archer will line you up on his bow, and he will launch you in due season and send you to accomplish for the kingdom of God the specific purposes that God has prepared and worked in you. Don't get weary. Don't get weary. Don't give up. God has a moment of time. He's got a specific moment of time that he's preparing for you. Don't for a moment look like Zechariah chapter number 4 and despise the day of small things. Don't begin to look around and say, God, what do you got me doing right now? I don't see how this fits into the big picture. I don't see how you're going to accomplish the purpose that we've been talking about in our intimate conversations. Because what you look around and see is small and see is minuscule. God looks at it from a totally different perspective. And he sees the grand picture of it all. And through his divine observation, he sees that there is a specific moment in time that he can release you to go and to accomplish the impossible things that would be able to be accomplished in the wrong timing or the wrong season. So you arrow made for for purpose or prepared for purpose, don't allow your eyes to become blind to the reality that God sees something great in your future. And he's maybe right now you're in the refining process and you're saying, God, it hurts. I don't know how much more you can strip away. Don't get weary. Don't get weary. Don't give up now. God's crafting in you his perfect will. Allow him time to accomplish it in your life. Maybe you're waiting right now on God to release you. You're just hanging out in the quiver of the Holy Ghost in His protection, in His covering. Don't worry. There's a due season in your life. I see, as it were, in the Holy Ghost, ha, arrows prepared in this church in a quiver, ha, ready to be strung to the bow of the master archer and for him to release you into that purpose. Don't quit now. Don't give up now. Don't stop now. Your time of waiting is almost over. Your time of preparations almost done. Stand with me all across this place. God doesn't want to work in us our good pleasure. He works in us His good pleasure. And He can accomplish more in just a moment, a singular moment of time, than we can in all of our efforts of trying to go around His process. So I just feel sent by the Holy Ghost to come and tell somebody it's okay to wait on the Lord. 
Waiting isn't idly standing by. Waiting is intentionally preparing yourself for the season of launching. Your season of launching draws nigh. Don't stop now. Your season of sending draws nigh. Don't stop now. Your season of harvest draws nigh. Don't stop now. I know you think 43 baptized in 2019 was great, and it was, but God has so much more for 2019. Come on, we rejoice in what God did in 2019, but we look for what God's going to do in 2020 with greater expectation. So bow your feet at the cross. Bow your intentions at the cross. Bow your will at the cross. Because before Jesus could be launched to fulfill his purpose, he had to first go to a Gethsemane when he said, Father, it's not my will that I go to the cross. But nevertheless, nevertheless, if you're not going to let this cup pass from me, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, Jesus died on the cross before he made it to the cross because he humbled and submitted himself to the death of the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew it was coming, and he looked to it with anticipation. The Bible tells us that he looked to it, ha, looked to it with rejoicing because he understood that the cross was him being hid in the quiver because he knew that three days later he was going to be launched. He'd go down to death, hell, and the grave. But he was going to be launched up out of the grave in three days. And now, open the opportunity for you and I to go beyond just a Passover type of a covenant and come into a relational covenant. He was going to open up the world for the Spirit to be poured out in time. Don't despise the time of waiting. It's really not waiting. It's the time of preparing. God bless you.